Hello everybody and welcome to the podcast. UFC fans can finally rejoice because this week we have a really good fight card headlined by Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. Got some other good fights such as Kevin Holland fighting Darren Stewart, Donald Stroning against Nico Price, which I'm very excited for. Got Mackenzie Dern on there. We got the return of Hazmat Chimaev who fights every other week it seems like. And we got one more fight. I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, what is it? here. It's going to kill me if I don't remember who it is. Uh, oh, Johnny Walker and Ryan Spann. That's a good fight, too. The return of Johnny Walker. Two, uh, two losses in a row. He's gonna, we're going to see if he can come back. But uh, we're going to cover that, obviously. Uh, the past two fight cards that weren't as good, I'll cover the Augusto Sakai versus Al- Alistair Overeem fight. I'll cover the Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill fight, which was really talked about in a very close fight. We've we've been seeming to have some pretty close fights in the Apex lately, which is really cool. So I'll cover that. And then for MMA news this week, uh, not nothing too crazy, but I guess a big thing is the Donald or uh, the Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson fight falling out. Dana White not wanting to pay Dustin what he wanted. We got the announcement of Douglas Lima versus Gegard Mousasi. Douglas Lima going up in weight to fight Mousasi for that vacant belt that Rafael Lovato Jr. relinquished (coughs) due to brain issues. And then we also have a very controversial stoppage, or non-stoppage, I guess, by Mike Rodriguez. Chris Tyone in the Mike Rodriguez versus Ed Herman fight. So we'll cover that after the Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley fight. So uh, without further ado, let's get started. So since I've been here last time, there was two fight cards. Not the best fight cards, but we had Augusto Sakai versus Alistair Overeem. I said Alistair Overeem would win in a third round knockout. And the fight went... As I assumed it would go, Augusto Sakai, he looked alright in the early rounds, but the experience from Alistair prevailed. Uh, Augusto seemed to gas out a little bit in the later rounds, which I think was what Alistair wanted, because Alistair can go a full 25 rounds. He's done it before. And I think this will be a good learning point for Augusto. He's kind of in the he's kind of in the start of his career, so I think a loss to Alistair Rim isn't the worst thing in the world. He lost by just gassing out and having and Alistair Overeem knocked him out. They honestly could have stopped the fight in the fourth round in the corner, but I guess they didn't want to quit. And, I mean, he didn't take so much punishment, so I understand why they didn't quit, but uh, he was just so exhausted, and heavyweights, they don't have the best gas tanks, especially for 25 minutes. Most of the time, I'm cool with the 25-minute fight for a main event, but honestly, this one could have been three rounds. Because with the heavyweights, they're just so big, it's tough to carry that weight around for 25 minutes. So I wouldn't have been mad if it was a three-round fight. And honestly, that's the thing that I like to talk about too, because in the UFC, it's different from other organizations because every single main event is 25 minutes, which is what I, which I do like. Like For this week, Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley can both go 25 minutes, and they've done it before, and it would suck if it was a three-round fight. But at the same time, like... 25 minutes is taking a lot away, and I feel like fighters could possibly be more active if they fought three-round main events 
um, more consistently rather than five rounds because people might think two rounds it's not that big of a difference but it really is and at the same time it could cause more exciting fights because if you're down if you're down the first round then you get a fight to win the next two rounds so there's l less room for error and there's also less room to get injured and it, the training camp is a little easier for a three-round fight that's how Bellator does it and I'm not saying Bell Bellator does it better than the UFC because you get fights like Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington obviously you want those fights to be five rounders but there's almost something cool about having the title fights just be 25 uh, minute rounds or 25 mi uh, minute fights but I don't think they're going to be changing that anytime soon and I I don't want them to because it's it's cool for the fans to see these awesome 25 minute rounds 25 minute fights with these uh, main event fight nights but I'm just thinking about the fighters and maybe it would be better to have three round three round fights if they're not championship fights in order uh, to help with activity and fighters just not getting injured as much but I don't know I don't see that I don't see that rule getting implemented it got it got uh I think it was implemented like eight-ish years ago, seven, eight-ish years ago. The first one was Mark Munoz versus Chris Lieben, and then they just kept going on with that. And it's worked out in their favor for the most part. I mean, fights like Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, why would that, that would suck if that was a three-round fight, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Alistair beat him. Ve veteran performance, I'm not too surprised about it. Card was fairly short. I think there was like seven fights on that card. A lot of, I think a lot of guys pulled out, so not the greatest card, but Alistair wins, which should set him up for a good fight against uh, probably Jarzinho. He'd probably get that rematch back because uh, the, the way the heavyweight division is laid out right now, there's not much for Jarzinho to do other than fight Alistair. He's the best ranked opponent that he could fight because Derek Lewis, he's below him. Or I think Derek Lewis is below Jarzinho, but Derek Lewis is fighting Curtis Blades. And then Stipe is going to fight Francis. Um, and I feel like Jarzinho will probably want to stay active, so he'll, he'll fight Alistair, I'd say, by the end of the year. That, that, that would be a really cool fight night. And, you know, Jarzinho is a little more... Uh, he just beat JDS, so he's a little more comfortable now. He took that Francis loss pretty well on the chin, literally. <laughs> Uh, so I would say Jarzinho, uh, yeah, I, I, if I was him, I would probably stay active and fight Alistair, because I think he should win that fight again, and it'll just be good for his resume, and it'll give him a good opportunity to fight someone like a Curtis Blades, or, uh, I don't know if he wants to fight Francis again, I don't know, I don't know if he wants that smoke again, because he's, it's just a tough fight for Jarzinho, because Jarzinho is not a wrestler, he doesn't really know how to wrestle, so him trying to be have a kickboxing match with Francis is just it's it's a tough task. It's it's just gonna be pretty difficult to beat Alistair in that or uh, Francis in that way. But uh, the cool thing with the Alistair fight is he can prove that uh, Alistair just can't take him down at will, and he can prove that he has good takedown defense. So a fight against Curtis could be lined up if he beats Alistair. So. That's potential right there. And then we got the Michelle Watterson versus Angela Hill fight. Uh, usually I'm not really into chick fights that much, but this one was actually pretty gas. Uh, this one was very close fight. 
uh, both lower ranked in their division, but they're they're no names in the division. They've been fighting for a while, and a really close fight. I thought the story of the fight on uh, there was a couple of things that I saw. I saw Angela Hill winning winning every boxing exchange, beating Michelle Watterson with uh, jab control. Uh, she just controlled the fight with a jab. And she landed some good right hands, too. Uh, whenever Angela Hill got in boxing range and they were, they were throwing boxing exchanges, it seemed like Hill was always on the upper hand. But where... And and also Angela Hill did a good job of defending takedowns until the third round, I believe, she got taken down, which lost her the round. But what I saw from Michelle is she's much better at kicking range. She landed some good kicks and she uh, had some good combinations on Hill that ended with kicks, and also, in the, even though she didn't get those takedowns, implementing that as a strategy was good for her, I believe. Um, when I look at the fight, I probably scored the first two rounds for Angela Hill just because she landed better strikes and she controlled the pace of the fight, and she had effective aggression. She cut off Michelle and put her up against the cage and outboxed Michelle. Uh, Michelle had trouble getting Angela down. And she also had trouble getting in kicking range. So I would give the first two rounds for Angela Hill. Third round, easy for Michelle Watterson. She controlled most of the fight on the ground. She took her down. Fourth round, it was closer, but I would say that Michelle got in kicking range and landed some good shots on Angela. And Angela was uh, getting more tired. I don't. I think this is her first fifth rounder, and Michelle Watterson is really known for her gas tank. So I, I think that's one thing that... Uh, Angela Hill, uh, it, it was bad for her that she didn't have more of a gas tank because I think she was prepared for a three-round fight, and it got announced that it was a five-round fight because I don't know who pulled off for this fight, but the main event got canceled, I think. So it became a fifth, five-round fight. So she gassed out a little bit. Michelle Watterson, uh, she never gasses out, so she won that fourth round. And then the fifth round was very close. You could tell Angela was throwing her punches and kicks very tired. Uh, but she did land some good shots, especially in the last uh, minute or so. But in the start of the round, I would say Michelle won by having good combinations and controlling the kicking range, as well as landing some good shots. But Angela Hill, uh, in the last minute, did some good work. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not mad. I wouldn't be mad if either girl won. I thought both did a fantastic job, and both deserve to say that they won that fight. I mean, that was that was one of the closest fights, and it's crazy. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's not many, if it's because of the fans, but there's been a lot of fights that are tough to judge lately, like Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar. I I just I don't know what it is, but this fight it's tough for me to score, and I'm usually pretty good at scoring fights. But, uh, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, there's, there's been some tough fights to score lately, and I can't pinpoint why. But for this fight, I I would give a slight edge to, I would give a slight edge to uh, Watterson in the fifth round. I thought she controlled most of the round. I don't think just because Angela won the last minute, she should win the whole round. But at the same time, Angela wasn't getting dominated early on in the round, so I, I wouldn't be mad if someone gave it to her. I looked at the, this website that gives all the decisions, like 
what all the judges uh, scored the fight, and it was a split decision. And then it tells it tells you like what the media scored the fight, and it was split down the middle. So this fight was super close. Either of them could have won, and nobody would be mad. I mean, even Dana White said it was like one of the closest fights he's ever seen. And it's really it's really nice for these uh, women because women because most of the time when they made them in cards, I, I could care less. I, I didn't watch it live. I watched it today actually. But it was a pretty solid fight, and I don't know what it is about women fighting, but I'm just not the biggest fan. I I, I guess just their shots aren't that uh, powerful for the most part, other than if you're like, unless you're like Amanda Nunez or Cyborg, but I feel like most of the time ratings go down when girls are main eventing, but at the same time there's some people that like that more, because they are, they are pretty technical, but... Uh, I think this is actually really good for women fighting that you can have two that are lo two lower ranked girls that aren't champs and have a great fight. So I think it's good for the women's division, especially the strawweight division, which is actually fairly stacked. The strawweight division is actually pretty good when you think about it. You got Joanna, you got Rose, you obviously the champion Wei Li. Tatiana Suarez is a dark horse. She's really good, very good wrestler. Just Kondraj. Um, you got Nina Ansaroff, obviously Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson. I mean, these are these are legitimate fighters. And Amanda Hebos. So yeah. So there's that. Who they should fight next? Oh, let me see. Well, for some reason Angela Hill's ranked 13. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't think the ra rankings should. Ma I don't think rankings matter that much. I don't look at them that intently. But 13 seems a little bit ridiculous. So for Watterson, she won the fight. I would probably give her uh, someone above, uh, someone definitely above her. She's like ranked like seven, eight-ish, I think eight right now. But she'll move up. I would give her someone like a Nina Ansaroff. Nina hasn't fought in a while, and she was close to contending contending for a title. So both of those girls, technical Nina's a a good defensive wrestler and a good striker. So it'd be interesting to see them two fight to have that top five status in that division. Another cool fight would be Andrade. If, uh, if Jessica Andrade doesn't have a fight lined up, it would be pretty interesting to see that fight. Uh, see how Andra Andrade's aggressive style deals with Michelle's karate approach, her kicking approach, and if Michelle can keep it at a distance and not get knocked knocked out like many many fighters before her. Also, how she deals with uh, Andrade's aggression and the clinch, and uh, if Watterson can wrestle can out wrestle her, because obviously Andrade is stronger than her, so that'd be a cool fight to watch as well. And then for Angela Hill, I'd give her someone like maybe Carla Esparza, another good wrestler that she can kind of prove to, to people that she can have good takedown defense and outstrike. I think uh, Carla Esparza, she can only really wrestle. So if Angela Hill, Hill can keep the fight on the feet and defend some takedowns, it would be a pretty easy fight. And it would get her up in that like top 5-6 status in that division. Because I, I like Angela Hill. She's actually pretty entertaining to watch. She's, she's a pretty good boxer. One of the better boxers in that division. She just has to get her gas tank up if she wants to fight those 25-minute fights against these uh, upper upper echelon fighters in the division. 
But uh, nonetheless, that was a that was a fairly good card actually. There was some good fights, some a lot of stoppages on that card. A little bit of controversy, which, which we'll talk about later. But nonetheless, the the best card it could have been, because it wasn't a very eye-opening card by the names by the names on the card. But it definitely delivered. And then we got the preview and predictions for the Covington versus Woodley card. So I'm very excited for this card. You got you got like fucking what six fights that are good, and then Mirsad Bektich is also fighting in the prelims. And I don't know if a lot of people know who he is, but he's a Bosnian featherweight. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he's not. He's kind of been slacking though. He just he not he got knocked out by Josh Emmett. He's lost to Darren Elkins. Uh, he's just kind of in a weird state in his career, but it's going to be interesting to see him. He's fighting a guy without a Wikipedia page, so that's n never good. Uh, I don't know who he is, and if I don't know who you are, not a lot of casuals. Def no casuals definitely going to know who you are, even in any hardcore. So that's not good for his career. I don't think I think he's out of the top 15, but he'll get a if he gets a couple more wins, and, and, and if there are wins by stoppages, stoppage, that'll be good for his career, because he's beaten solid fighters like Ricardo Lamas. And, uh, who else did he fucking beat? He's he's always been, like, an up-and-coming guy. He trains at TriStar, and a lot of people say he's very good in the gym. But, that doesn't really matter. He's only he's only beaten Ricardo Lamas, actually. And that fight was kind of ass. Um, but, yeah, he lost to Dan Ige, which is a close fight, but he lost. Josh Emmett and Darren Elkins. Which I mean, they're not they're no slouches, but if you're gonna be a, a top ten featherweight like you wanna be, you know, those are fights you have to win, you know. But I don't know, we'll we'll see. Yeah, he's still young. He's like 29. Yeah, he's from tw he's 29. And I'll always be a fan of him, but it's kind of frustrating being a fan of a guy that loses when he has a moment to shine. Ba ba ba. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely picking him to beat that guy. His name is Luis. The guy he's fighting, his name is Luis Eduardo Garagori. I, I just, I feel weird picking a fight about a guy that I don't know about, but this is a must-win fight for Mirsad, so I, I would hope that he goes in there and he's more aggressive and he try, tries to go for the knockout. I'll go for him second-round knockout. I hope he can knock him out. And then the first fight on the main card, uh, it's a guy named Kevin Holland fighting Darren Stewart. I'm a big fan of Kevin Holland. He's super entertaining to watch. He fights in a kind of kung fu type style. He throws a lot of unorthodox strikes. He comes from the Contender Series. And he's been uh, winning lately. The only loss he's had in the UFC was to Brennan Allen, who is a solid fighter in his own right. He's going to be a breakout star. And uh, he always goes for the finish. He's good on the ground, but he, and he, but he specializes in kickboxing. So I would I would look at this guy for like a dark horse, um, like an up and coming guy that you should know about. He's caught my attention for sure, and I have him beating Darren Stewart by second round submission. I think he'll win the striking exchange. Darren Stewart's gonna try to take it to the ground and he's gonna submit him uh, with probably like a guillotine or like a rear naked choke. And then you got Mackenzie Dern versus Randa Marcos. So the thing with Mackenzie Dern is, as long as she can get on weight and s and get to weight healthy, 
she's a pretty tough matchup for anybody in the division because she's very good at one thing, and that's jujitsu. Her striking is pretty garbage, but she's a legit black belt in jujitsu, and she's been training her whole life, so it's like second nature to her. She's won world championships in jujitsu, and she's been like a big, uh, big name before she even got to the UFC because of her, uh, her name and and uh, her reputation in the jujitsu world. But uh. Her striking is not very good. She has trouble cutting weight because she's a very big girl. But her record is 8-1, 5 submissions, 8-3 decisions. She lost to Amanda Hibas, who's a solid fighter and a good grappler in her own right. And she couldn't get her down. But I think as long as Mackenzie gets on weight and she fights smart, she tries to get it to the ground, even, even maybe pulls guard... If she can't take her down, try to pull guard and just throw up submissions. Just constantly throw up submissions. And she, she should be able to control Randa on the ground and sweep her a bunch of times. And I, I can I could see Mackenzie probably winning by like an arm bar or a, or a leg lock against Randa. I don't know I don't know how good Randa is on the ground, but she, I can't imagine she's anywhere near Mackenzie Dern. So I'll go with Mackenzie Dern, a bigger girl. I think she'll be able to get her on the ground and finish the fight within two rounds. And then we got the Dagestani... Oh, uh, what's, what's his name? Hazma Chimaev. There we go, there we go. The guy that wants to fight every single week. And what's what's actually interesting about this fight is that he has two fights booked, so he's gonna fight Gerald Mershart. I think that's his name. Uh, Mershart, yeah. So he's gonna fight him this Saturday, and then when they get on Fight Island, he's gonna fight Damian Maya in October. So this is the first time that a UFC fight has been double booked, and if I was Gerald, I would be fucking pissed because it's a little, it's it's disrespectful to him because the fight hasn't even happened yet. Who knows if Hazma Chmaev is going to get fucked up and knocked out and want to fight the next month. But Hazma Chmaev, super confident. He's getting Gerald Merchart and Damian Maia back-to-back. If he wins both of those fights in dominant fashion, and this guy's a problem. And I'm, I'm confused on what weight he wants to fight at. I think he wants to fight at a welterweight, but he's not cutting weight this time. He's fighting at 185, which could be tougher because Gerald... I mean, I guess he's bigger than him, but it's just strange. I've never, I've never heard of someone double booking, and I hope Hazma Chimaev kind of lets everybody in the UFC know that, like, as long as you can win and not take so much damage, it's not the worst idea to fight every like two months. I mean, this guy is is the champion of quarantine. He fought twice in like 11 days, I think, or 10 days. Like he he fought one card and then he fought the the card after, and then he took a little a little break I guess what it's it's been a month I think, and he's fighting at the apex right now he's fighting the apex this Saturday, and then he's gonna fight on Fight Island in October, like this guy's already fought four years four fights in like two months that's fucking insane, 
And and what better way to make a name for yourself than be consistent and dominant? I mean, he's, people are already comparing him to Habib Nurmagomedov, and I see why. Uh, he's just that typical Dagestani way of fighting. Take him to the ground, domination. You know, they, Gerald knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to try to take him to the ground and fuck him up. And I don't think he's going to be able to stop it. I think Gerald is just not quick enough and agile enough to get away from Hazmat grabbing him because Hazmat is very quick. I think Hazmat is straight away just going to take him down. And I see this fight ending in the first round either by knockouts or a TKO to ground strikes or a type of submission, probably a choke like an arm triangle or a rear naked choke. I just see Hazmat beating Gerald on the ground and then Gerald trying to take a different position, maybe turning on his back, and then Hazmat locking in that rear naked choke, because Gerald, he's known for having good submissions, but I hope he doesn't, uh, it'd be tough for him to try any submissions on Hazmat, because I feel like Hazmat has good uh, defense, and if anything, those submissions are just going to give him a better position on the ground. So I think if I had to bet money, I would definitely take Hazmat, but at the same time, he's a negative 500 favorite so you're not going to get that much money from it but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Hazmat I like him a lot I like the way he fights so I'll def I'll take him in the first round I think he'll submit him so there's that fight who's next is it Ryan Spann and Johnny Walker yeah I think so okay Ryan Spann Johnny Walker this one's a little weird because Johnny Walker, we kind of we saw a flash of him, and then every we saw him knock out like two people that are not that well known, and then everybody's like, "I'll give him John Jones. He'll knock out John Jones." And it's like, let's relax for a little bit, man. Like, this guy fought Corey Anderson way too quick. This guy fought Nikita Kurlov way too quick. Those are two solid fighters, and this is what I'm talking about. People pushing this guy too quick. He's very animated. He he dances a lot. He like he he speaks good English. Like this guy, his he has a good look to him. So everybody's like, oh oh, Johnny Walker's the next big thing. He's gonna be fucking the next John Jones. He's gonna be the next champion. And he's been in the UFC for two seconds. Like, and and now he two losses in a row. He's not fighting legitimate fighters and they have a good idea of what he can do and what he can't do and one thing he's not good at is obviously wrestling I was one thing was that was always big uh, a big knack on him or like one thing that uh, he's not as good at is wrestling right he's good at these crazy strikes and he's good on the feet at a distance and and, and the clinch as well but if you get him against the cage and take him down, it's it's he's amateurish in that way of wrestling, and he doesn't fight very smart. He didn't fight smart against Corey Anderson. He just thought he's gonna go in there and knock him out. Corey Anderson, being the veteran he is, knocked him out in the first round, and then he lost to Nikita Kurlov, an experienced veteran, took him down, did what he needed to do, and he won in a dominant fashion. Now, now, do I think Ryan Spann can do that? I don't know. I don't know how, how good Ryan Spann really is. He hasn't shown me much to be honest. I don't I don't I don't know too much about him. 
but uh, he, I guess he's uh, he's mostly he's mostly a grappler and he has a lot of submission wins under his belt. But I haven't seen much from him to tell me. I I just haven't seen enough from uh, Ryan Spann to tell me that he's just gonna go in there and dominate Johnny Walker. I think. I think if Johnny Walker fights this at a range and can defend some takedowns, he should be able to knock out Ryan Spam. And I think if he can, like, somehow keep it in the clinch and not let Ryan, like, dictate where the clinch goes and dictate if he can put him on the fence, as long as Johnny fights at range and doesn't get tired because for some reason he has no gas tank, I, 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 can, I hope that Johnny... Because he seems like a smart guy. I hope that he can learn from his losses and understand to fight smarter if you really want to be a world champion. And just because you lost to Corey Anderson and Nikita Kirilov does not mean you're a bad fighter. I mean, those those two are great fighters. And they're veteran fighters. So there's that's nothing to hang your head on. But uh, there's definitely a chance that Ryan Spann could win. He could take him down. If Johnny Walker didn't learn, he could definitely take him down and just submit him. But I, I just feel like Johnny Walker is more athletic. He ha he's much faster than Ryan Spann. And as long as he can keep the fight standing, have a good gas tank for all three rounds, and I'll box him and, and stay at kicking range at the same time, I, I could, I could, I th I'll, I'll take Johnny Walker in this fight. And I'll take him by... Third round knockout. I'll say third round knockout. If he if he wants to get the knockout at the last round, but he could definitely win by decision too, as long as he doesn't get taken down. But that one's kind of a toss-up fight for me. I'm not sure who's gonna win that fight, but I I would say Johnny Walker. I think he is more talented. So. And then the next fight we got. Who do we got? Donald Cerrone versus Nico Price. Now this fight is definitely going to be fight of the night because both guys are fucking bangers. They just stand up and they f and they just fight. It's definitely going to be a slobber knocker, as uh, Jim Ross would say. If you don't know Jim Ross, look him up. <laughs> but uh, I would say it's it's interesting. So Donald Cerrone, he's lost his last four fights. Uh, lost to Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, and who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? I think I think he's lost four in a row, right? Uh, shit. Connor, Connor. How could I forget? And two of those, three of those losses were pretty fucking bad. Got knocked out. Uh, decision against Pettis. Pretty, not a super brutal fight, but a close fight, and it, it was a solid fight. Um, the thing with this fight is Nico Nico Price, he leaves himself up for uh, openings a little too much, and Donald Cerrone's a solid striker, especially with his kicks. So as long as Donald does not get into that stand and bang style, which Nico Price is very good at, because Nico Price is the kind of guy where He'll take one. He'll take two to give you back one, and his one is very strong. We saw him, he lost fights against Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal, uh, and Abdul Razak, but 
he he knocked down uh he knocked down Jeff Neal and he knocked down Vicente Luque because they didn't stay fully technical for the whole fight. He has a way of like luring you into that stand and bang style and making you like wanna exchange with him. But the best way to find Nico Price is just to keep it at a distance and use technical striping striking because he's not super technical but he has a lot of power and he has a good enough chin to stay in there and take big shots but he, he just likes standing and banging and he leaves his chin open a little too much it kind of reminds me of like a Cody Garbrandt so I feel like if Donald Shoney is up for the challenge and is mentally there he usually does a very good job of fighting these up-and-coming guys that like to stand up and stand and like stand and bang so I think experience will prevail, and Donald Cerrone should win this fight. Now, could he lose? Of course. If Donald Cerrone's not there mentally, and he leaves his chin open, Nico Price is going to knock him out real quick. But if he stays disciplined and fights like how he fought Ally Quinta um, and uh, Alexander Hernandez, I think he'll be able to knock out Nico Price. And I'll say second round knockout, Donald Cerrone. And now, for the main event of the evening, we got Tyron, the Chosen One Woodley, versus Colby Chaos Covington. I'm so excited for this fight. This fight should have been a title fight last March. Or not last, uh, was it last March or the March before? Whenever Usman and Woodley fought. I was a little, I was annoyed that Usman got that title shot before Covington. Uh, I thought Covington deserved it more. He beat the same guys before Usman did, but... That was in the past. So, this fight, it's been long overdue. Both guys hate each other. They used to be on the same team, and now they got a lot of beef. Tyron does not like Colby because of the way he acts. He thinks he's fake. He doesn't like this persona that he portrays. And he says that he's just a normal guy in real life. So why would he have to portray this fake persona? Uh, Colby doesn't like Tyron, the way he handles himself as a champ, I think. And, I mean... Colby's just... Here, here's the thing with Colby. People are annoyed at him for, like, being this, like, Trump guy and, like, playing the heel role, the villain role. But being a WWE fan as a young kid, I love it. I think it's cool. Because here's the thing. If Colby just fought and didn't talk shit and didn't have this persona, he would just be another brick in the wall. He would just be another guy that just was a good wrestler and just fought. Like, he, he used to be the guy that didn't talk shit and was just a nice guy, and it got him nowhere. He was fighting good fighters like Brian Barberin and Worley Alves and Dong Hyung Kim, and he never said a word. I knew about him because I'm a hardcore fan, but nobody, nobody none of the casuals knew him. And now he's one of the b biggest fighters in the UFC, and he on, he gets cheered more than he gets booed nowadays, it seems like. Um, it, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of guys like, the UFC, it's an opportunity, it's not a very long-term job, so why not be a, per, a personality, why, why just be that nice guy that doesn't say much during the press conferences? I mean, yeah, it might seem fake, but they are really fighting, it's not WWE, they're, Colby is actually going in there, and he's fighting, it's not a setup fight, it's not scripted. I, I respect it, I mean, he would... He would just—he's getting paid more and he's getting opportunities. As soon as he started talking shit, he got a fight against Damian Maya, 
against Rafael Dos Anjos when he won the interim championship, and then he got a fight against Robbie, and he got a championship fight. Like, good, good for him, man. Fuck. I mean, he wouldn't have gotten those opportunities if it wasn't for him shit-talking 100%, because he's a great fighter. And I'm starting to think, like, I'm not saying all, guy, all, all these guys should just make fake personalities and then it becomes WWE, but I'm not going to hate on him for doing it. And he's a hell of a fighter, too. And I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans, so I'm excited. And he's fighting he's fighting his first fight since the championship loss against Usman. Uh, it's his first fight in, like, what, eight months, nine months? And he's fighting Tyron Woodley, who already fought. And he just he's coming off of two losses, obviously the championship fight and then the fight against Gilbert Burns, which were both dominant decisions. I think in the last ten rounds he's lost all of them in a pretty dominant fashion. And you might people m might think like Taron Woodley, this is probably his back nine, and this is a must win for him. And honestly, if he doesn't win this fight, I could definitely see him retiring and just uh, pursuing his. Phenomenal rapping career. Oof. Listen to his music. See, tell me what you think. <laughs> and uh, his commentating role and his an an analyst role, because he does a good job of that, to be honest. But this fight will definitely be the test, because can Tyron Woodley hang with these championship-level fighters, these top-tier fighters? Does Tyron Woodley want to just be like a Robbie Lawler and fight these top 15 guys and have them have them fight him? as like their next big step up in competition. We'll see. Um, if the fight against Colby goes the same as Gilbert Burns and Usman, I don't see him staying around too long. Former champion, he's he used to uh, fight at Strikeforce. He's had a long, good career. And he was even talking about like, he doesn't really understand why he's fighting bad these last two fights. It might just be Father Time kicking him in the ass, which which it probably is. He just hasn't looked the same. He used to have really good takedown defense, which is a big reason why he won a lot of his fights. But he doesn't have that same aggression, that same tenacity, that same takedown defense, the same technicality, which comes with age and a lot of training camps because he trains very hard. But I'll just kind of go into my my opinion on like how each fighter can win the fight and what they should do so for colby i said his key to winning is heavy pressure and aggression aggression uh with wrestling he heavy pressure wrestling uh wearing out tyron because tyron is known for not having the best gas tank don't fight don't fight tyron at a distance because tyron definitely has more power than colby and Tyron is known for blitzing and knocking out his opponents like he did against Robbie Lawler and Jay Huron and Darren Till. So you got to be careful of that right hand from Tyron, especially when it comes to you at a distance because Tyron is a very good athlete and he can cover distance very quick. So definitely I would when Tyron comes at Colby to strike him and go for the knockout, which I think he will, because he knows Colby's a good wrestler. I think Colby should probably try to clinch up and, and initiate takedowns. But at the same time, Colby needs to watch out because Taron is going to try to knee him or uppercut him, 
when he goes in for takedowns. So his takedowns can't be too telegraphed. They have to be mixed up with his striking. So he needs to get in there with his hands and be aggressive enough and time his shots very well because that's one thing Usman did a good job of. He did a good job of mixing his strikes with his takedowns. So Usman, so uh, Wilde didn't really have much of an answer. But uh, those are those are things that things that I would do if I was telling Colby how to win. Uh, and then for Tyron, he needs to be able to defend some of these takedowns. If he can't, it's just going to be tough for him. Like every round at the start, at standing, it's going to be tough for him to just try to knock out Colby at the start of every round if he's been <clears throat> taken down. Because with every takedown, and if Colby keeps pressuring him and putting weight on him, Tyron is going to lose his knockout ability and his strength, and he's going to gas out very quickly if Colby does what he's been doing recently to uh, Robbie Lawler and RDA and Damian Maya. So I think takedown defense is very important. He can't let Colby just freely shoot on him. He has to reprimand him. He has to give him some something to to warn Colby to go for that shot so he's more scared to go to the shot go for the shot because Tyron wants this to be a stand up fight but it's it, it's going to be tougher to be a stand up fight unless he can defend takedowns and then I, I would I would advise Tyron to go for some good shots right away because the longer this fight goes the worse it is for him even standing up wise because Colby he throws a lot of volume and he does not get tired. Like this dude, it runs consistently. His cardio is some of the best in the UFC. So I think going going for that early knockout or at least knockdown would be critical for him. And Tyron, I know he's not known for his submissions, but if Colby does get him to the ground, he needs to be able to give Colby a reason to like get up and and not just easily like sit on him and pressure him he needs to probably throw up some submissions i would say i don't know i i i guess he has a black belt in jiu-jitsu but taron is not well known for his submissions but i would i would say taron should probably throw up some submissions and at least pose that as a threat and not just let colby lay on him and beat on him for five rounds because that's what he did in the usman and gilbert burns fight and he needs to be able to be more active off of his back. I know he wants to conserve energy, but he's going to he's gonna lose dominantly if he does not stop the wrestling in some way against Colby, whether it's defending it before it happens or while it's happening, going for submissions and going for something, not just laying there, because that's what he's been doing lately, and it hasn't been working at all. But... If I had to pick for this fight, if I had to bet, it's tough to say that Colby's not going to win. Um, Colby is a tough matchup for Tyron, to be honest with you. It's similar to Usman, but even more pressure. I just feel like Colby has such a much better gas tank than Tyron, and he'll be able to take Tyron down at will, and he'll be able to hold him down there. Uh, one, one thing for Colby is as long as he doesn't get taken or knocked down or, or knocked out in the first couple rounds, I think he'll be okay. And I think he's a smart enough fighter to know how to mix up his striking with his takedowns. So I would probably say Colby will win this by a decision. And that is the 
preview for this weekend's card, which I'm very excited for. And some small things that happened this week in MMA. Uh, Dustin and Tony's off. They're not going to talk about that fight happening. It's definitely not going to happen next month. Hopefully it'll happen by the end of the year. I don't know where the UFC wants to spend their money if it's not for that Dustin and Tony fight. I don't know how much Dustin's asking for, so I'm not going to act like I have all the context and I know everything behind it, because I don't. But I just feel like if I was Dana White, this would be a big loss, because you can make such a big fucking card if you have Dustin and Dustin and Tony and Habib and Justin on the same card. That would be sick. And the card is not as good as uh, as if, if Justin and or if Dustin and fucking Tony are not on it. So I hope that they can re renegotiate, and there's still time for it to be next month, but Dana White's, he's a pretty stubborn person in some ways, and he kind of, when he says something, he means it, which is good in some ways, but it kind of sucks for the fans that we're not going to get this fight next month. Eventually we're going to get it, they're going to work out a deal, it just happens naturally like that, but it just sucks that it's not going to be on this card. It'll probably be on the November card or <coughs> the December card. But uh, I really want to watch this fight next month, but I guess we're not going to get it, and it's that's unfortunate. Because I think Dustin does deserve a, a m more money. I don't know how much he's asking for, but I would think that he does deserve a lot of money because he took a lower-ranked opponent last time. And he's taken whatever the UFC's given him, and he's beaten most of the fighters he's fought. He lost to Habib, okay. And... But he's been winning most of his fight recently, and he's one of the best fighters in the world. So why would you not want to have him and Tony fight on the same card as Habib and Justin? But I don't know the logistics, I don't know all the context, so I'm not going to act like I do know, but it's just unfortunate that the fight uh, isn't happening. And then another one I wanted to talk about is a controversial stoppage in last weekend's card against Ed Herman and Mike Rodriguez. So Chris Tyone is the referee, and he usually does a pretty good job. I haven't heard anything bad about him, but this is pretty egregious. What actually happened in this fight is that both guys won the fight. Mike Rodriguez uh, landed two, two, three knee shots on Ed Herman in the second round, and he knocked him out. He was he was out of the fight. He was covering up. He was out of the fight, but Chris Tyone didn't get a good look at it. And he counted it as a nut shot, and he let Ed Herman just sit there for five minutes, and then he restarted the fight. And then in the third round, Ed Herman got Mike Rodriguez with a Kimura. So Mike Rodriguez knocked out Ed Herman, and then Ed Herman submitted Mike Rodriguez. Luckily, Dana White was nice enough to give Mike Rodriguez his win bonus, so both guys got their win bonus. So that's good to hear. But... I don't I don't know. I'm not going to shit talk the ref too much. Obviously, you got to you got to be more aware that that's not a nut shot. And Mike Rodriguez was like time, like he thought he was ending the fight cuz he kept saying stop, stop, stop. But uh I I w one thing I'm confused about is why can't they look at the replay? <coughs> see that it wasn't a nut shot. See that it was an obvious knockout stoppage and just stop the fight. Like, I feel like the commission should implement that rule because it's safer. Because Ed Herman got legitimately knocked out. He was out of the fight. 
yes, he did win, but he got legitimately knocked out, and then he he got to chill for like five minutes and then fight again. So I just I don't understand why they can't use replay in the same way that they use replay in other sports and just overturn a, a call. It's up to the ref's discretion a little too much in my opinion, and there needs to be, needs to be more standards and more consistency with refing, because I mean it's it's pretty bad to miss that call, or pretty much bad to miss that that was not a nut shot. But at the same time, he's human. Like he he might have looked away for two seconds. Like I don't I don't fucking know. He, you should never look away while you're refereeing a fight, but. He didn't see it. He, he maybe he was at a weir weird angle, but you have a replay that's very good. Like it captured the film perfectly. That's a knockout. Nobody's disputing that's a knockout. That fight should have been over right there. They should have just been like, okay, referee fucked up. The fight's over. You got knocked out. We can't let you compete. But I don't know. I, I didn't know I was talking about it. Like, why don't they just see the instant replay and? call out the fight, but I guess the Nevada Commission doesn't use replay like that, but it's just kind of weird to see a guy getting knocked out and then he fights right, after, fights right after he gets knocked out, so that's something they, they could definitely work on. And then finally we got a huge Bellator announcement, Douglas Lima versus Gegard Mousasi, this kind of reminds me of the Rory McDonald going up in weight to fight Gegard Mousasi for the belts. But Douglas Lima is a huge fighter. He has huge fucking le he, huge legs. Like he's a very big welterweight. But at the same time, Gegard Mousasi used to fight at 205, so obviously Gegard is bigger than him. So, but I'm really interested in this fight. I think it's happening late October. I'm really interested to see this fight. How D Douglas is going to deal with Gegard's power, and if Gegard's going to deal with Douglas Lima's power, how he dealt with Rory McDonald. I don't think it'll be as easy of a fight as it was against Rory, but I'm interested to see this fight, and I'm glad that Beltor put it up. These are... Uh, these could be the two best fighters in Bellator. I mean, Patricio Pitbull is very good as well, but these are the two, two of the biggest fighters and two of the best fighters in Bellator. So to see him go up and wait, if he wins this fight, man... That would be fucking dope if Douglas Lima was a two-belt two champion. And it would be very deserving because Gegard Mousasi is not an easy fight for anybody. So I'm excited to see that fight next month. And I can't wait to cover it and give my prediction for that. But uh, that's about all I have for this podcast, guys. Thank you for listening. And tune in for next weekend's fights. You won't regret it. Peace.